Converge family, thanks for checking in. This is Converge Takeout. Uh, this is the the hot now. Uh, do we have Krispy Kreme donuts out here? I don't know if we do or not. I think I think we do, but back in the Midwest, Krispy Kreme donuts were everywhere, and that hot now sign uh, comes on, and that's when you you can't pass it. You have to pull into the Krispy Kreme drive-through right there. It's like a a, a passageway. I, pro I think actually to heaven. I don't even know. Um, but that's kind of what we're doing, creating something so that you can access it. It's ready for you whenever you can check in. So if you are, maybe you're not ready to come back. Maybe you've never come into the building. You kind of found what uh, God was doing in your life and you rediscovered it in COVID. And so you've never really done the whole church gathering thing. Maybe you're just on vacation and you wanted to stay caught up with the, the message. Whatever brings you here, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. And and even if you've never been in, this is I mean, this is this is us. You're still a part of who you are. This is the beauty of being the church in 2023. Uh, the Apostle Paul would love to have had this option, but he was hoofing it. He was he was hoofing it from town to town. Uh, we just load this, and it goes to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts and and our website and the app and YouTube. So this is beautiful. I, I don't. I'm not a walker, so I don't want to. I don't want to walk. If you're in a different city, and I had to walk this message to get it to you, you wouldn't get the message. Uh, maybe, maybe you would if, if that was what I was called to do, but no, I'm just being honest with you. So week four, the last week of our series called Margins. Um, I, I, this has been a great series for me personally. I'll say what I've said before uh, one more time since this is the last weekend. This message is, a, is just a journal entry of sorts for me. Like I, I haven't even really had time like I have with other messages to work through really saying it the most articulate and and creative ways you know things when when we try to I try to use uh, creative ways to say things or, or, or alliteration so that you can remember things and and uh, this is more of uh, Monday through through today this is Friday for me Monday through Friday just kind of staying here and this topic of margins, learning to rest and to Sabbath, and and today learning what it means to wait on the Lord, and and in doing so, I just get to share with you what I'm learning. I hope it connects with you. Um, I want to start by reading an excerpt from this book. If you're watching, you can see this orange-covered book. Um, it's by a man named John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless elimination of hurry and this is kind of where it all started for me my wife and I were in Nevada City we each took a book to an Airbnb where we were just kind of catching our breath for a couple nights and uh, I was out in the patio reading this book and no joke I got to page two of the prologue like not even chapter one the introduction and tears were just streaming down my face because I felt actually I wasn't gonna read it I'm gonna read it to you I think it's page two um, yeah, yeah. No way, that's not... Okay, yeah, so that's all the what the all, all other authors had to say. This is the prologue, not even chapter one, and it's page two. Here's what, what the author, John Mark, wrote. And uh, tears started streaming down my face because I felt so seen and also so afraid. Of He found the perfect ways to describe how I have a tendency to live life and uh, and this is no way to live. He 
he, he talks about he just finished preaching for the weekend. So this is after doing the services at his church for the weekend. And he says, I'm home now to late dinner. I can't sleep. That dead, tired, but wired feeling. I crack open a beer. I'm on the couch watching an obscure kung fu movie that no one's ever heard of. It's Chinese with subtitles. I've never been remotely into kung fu before. This whole thing makes me nervous. But the thing is, I feel like a ghost. Half alive and half dead. More numb than anything else. Flat. One-dimensional. Emotionally, I live with an undercurrent of a non-stop anxiety that rarely goes away. And a tinge of sadness. But mostly, I feel pretty blah spiritually. I'm empty. It's like my soul is hollow. Here's a guy that launched a church. And church is a big church in Portland, Oregon. And he describes kind of how he's living life. The, the, the way that he's... Uh, the pace and the rhythm that he's kept in his life. And and I just felt like that was me. I have a tendency to go hard. I, I like to be busy. Uh, when I say I'm busy, it's not a complaint. It's, I think, thank goodness, the complaint would be if I'm bored. Uh, so I, I run sometimes at a pace that a crash is inevitable. And, and the crazy thing is, uh, this book is, not only is this book, a bestseller, like, uh, the more I've talked to people about this book, the more I realize that I'm not the only one. And so I thought we could look into this topic together uh, and see what we can discover about what God has to say about the, the margins, the space that we keep in our life. Margins, we said this week one, is the space between our, the load that we have and, and our limits. And having that space, having that margin is incredibly important to being the man and woman that God has designed us to be. So it's on page 70, I want to read an excerpt from this book. It says this, Do you catch yourself with the sneaking suspicion that you'll wake up on your deathbed with this nagging sense that somehow, in all the hurry and busyness and frenetic activity, you missed the most important things? Somehow, get this, you started a business, but you ended your marriage. You got your kids to their dream colleges, but you never taught them the ways of Jesus. You got letters after your name, but learned the very hard way that intelligence is not at all the same as wisdom. You made a lot of money, but never grew rich in the things that matter most, which ironically aren't things at all. You watched all 14 seasons of Insert Your Favorite Show here, but you never learned to love spending time in prayer. This whole idea... Uh, it echoes what Corey Ten Boom said. I, I referenced it quickly in, in our first weekend that if the devil can't make you sin, Corey Ten Boom says, then he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, maybe you're trying to live a life that's just, you're really trying to honor Jesus with your decisions and, 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 and not trying to give way to, to gross sin in your life. But Corey Ten Boom would say, if he can't make you sin, the devil will just make you busy because both sin and busyness disconnect us from God's best in our life. I, I would say, and even add on to that, at least in my life, he'll settle for the fact that I live busy. He, for some of us, he doesn't even have to make us busy. We are just, we are just prone to live incredibly busy lives and that busyness if we don't learn how to find rhythms and margins in the middle of them will disconnect us from the things of God we'll read a verse that I think we've read all four weeks but let's read it again as an introduction to the thoughts that I want to bring today Jesus said come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you 
rest. I, I was, today we're going to talk about that rest, that waiting, uh, that unplugging of sorts. What does that even mean? Come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. I'll take that rest, Jesus. What do I, what do I got to do to get that rest? I, I've, I've said before, like verses like these, I, and you might not like this honesty. You might wish that, that, that I, I just, every single verse that's in the Old and New Testament, I just claim it and, and just pour it over my life all the time. I want to, but, but verses like this are like, God, I don't know how to make sense of this. I don't feel the rest. You say, come to me if I'm weary and carry heavy burdens and you'll give me rest. How do I do that? It's like the, the, that all things work together for good. In the middle of it, that's a really, really hard verse to just let just wash over your life and this therapeutic and, and this, this, this sense of peace that comes over us. Really, really verses like that are, are difficult. We have, to, we have to bathe ourselves spiritually in those verses before we get with no rest and before we get to the, the parts of our life that are difficult. Because once we're there, it's really really hard to know how do I do this thing what does it mean to rest does that mean come to Je- come to Jesus when you're weary and carry heavy burdens and he'll give you naps come to Jesus you get extra naps I mean if that was the case our church would be so full you come to Jesus you show up to church and you get more naps in your week we that's that's a phenomenal church growth campaign we should try it sometime but we know that's not at all what the verse means let's keep reading in the verse. This is Matthew 11, 28 through 30 now. I don't think we've read 29 and 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Here we go. Take my yoke upon you. So we are taking something. We are carrying something. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I found that interesting. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a burden, but it's an exchange. I'm going to, you give me what you're carrying. I'll work it out. I'll work through it. And then I'll give you it back. And then when I give it back to you, that's the part that I'm intending you to carry. But we carry so much more than Jesus intends for us to carry. It reminds me of the, the, the fruit, acai. Uh, my wife and I were in Hawaii a few weeks ago for our anniversary, and there was an acai. We, went, we toured a farm with all kinds of different fruits and, and uh, tasted stuff. It was a chocolate farm, actually, so we ate more dark chocolate than I will ever want to eat again in my life. But it was delicious. But on that chocolate farm, they also grow so many different kinds of fruits and vegetables and, and just exotic plants. And so one of them was an acai. They, it was interesting about the acai that makes a lot of sense is is that that's an expensive fruit for the most part, and I found out why. Because I, I just remember, like, I remember one time my daughter was doing something in, in high school, and, and there was her theater friends, and they wanted, hey, I mean, I'm coming to meet them uh, for something. And she says, Dad, can you bring me and my friends an acai bowl? So I swung by the nugget for an acai bowl, and I was like, can I get four acai bowls for my daughter and her friends? And the, the, the nice person at the cash register was like, that'll be 2344 or something like that. It was expensive. And I'm, I'm thinking, why is this so expensive? But then I'm in Hawaii, and I realize why it's so expensive. Because 80%, 80-plus percent of that little berry is unedible. It's the pit. 
And it takes a lot of time and machinery and work to get just the 20% that we actually want. So when my daughter wants an acai bowl, with every little, with every 20% of acai that's in there, 80% of it was discarded because it was unusable. And most of our lives, for instance, we carry around a large percentage of worry and concern and shame and all of these other things. And Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 11, if you come to me, let me show you the percentage of it that is good for you so that you can discard the part that's not good for you. And in doing so, you give me what you're carrying, I'll give you my burden, the part that I designed for you to carry, and in that you will find rest. That will be light for you. I titled this message, if I was going to title it, I I, I titled it, A New Way to Wait. We think of wait, there, there we think of we think of this season of not doing anything. We think of just kind of hanging loose. I got my wife's uh, car washed earlier today, and then when they're, they're doing all the work, and I'm just sitting there in this waiting area. This is this though is is not at all that. This is a new way to wait. But when I started studying this week, I began to work through the kinds of verses that talk about the posture we take while Jesus is at work. So when I come and I give Jesus my burden and and he's going to give me a new burden that I can carry, there's a season of waiting in that. And I began to look up verses and and obviously the one that came to mind is is Isaiah. And in, in Isaiah chapter 40, it's that verse that says that we wait on the Lord. I've I've sang that song a million times. Strength arises, we wait upon the Lord. And even sing, even now as I thought through it, I've sang that verse so many times, pulled directly from Scripture. But what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Let's read it. I, I decided to pull it from the version that I was raised with, the King James Version. It brings a little bit of nostalgia for me. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount with wings of eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of that, that's the great exchange. You know, we we sing songs like, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. There's these exchanges that we make with Jesus, and we bring him the heaviness, and he exchanges it and gives it to us. But that's what he's always done. You know, you think about the loaves and the fishes. A little boy gives a few loaves and a few fishes, and and it feeds 5,000 women and children plus all of the men. Jesus has a way of taking what we offer him and to radically multiplying that. And here we see it. Do you want uh, strength? Do you, the renewed strength? Do you want, basically, you mount up on wings of eagles, just soaring like the wings of eagles. They spread out and it looks effortless as they glide through across the skies. And that's, that's what happens in our lives. We, we can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint. And all we contributed to this is to wait. Those that wait upon the Lord, dot, 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 dot. All of those things happen because we wait. I I had to ask myself, okay, okay. Father, what does this even mean? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? So I do nothing. I just sit around and, and, and then you give me, put me up on wings of eagles and I can run and not be weary. I can walk and not faint. And I was surprised to know that no, not at all. In fact, 
the work to accomplish this is incredibly difficult work that we have to commit our lives to. The word here for, for wait is the word kolval in the Hebrew, kolval. You spell it Q-A-V-A-H, pronounce it kolval. Here's what it means, and get this, this is crazy, and if you want to look it up, it's, this is just pulled directly from Strong's Hebrew Greek Concordance, it's word number, uh, what, what word was it, uh, six, I forget what word it was, 6960, I think, something like that, um, but, but you can look up the verse, this is exactly what it says, that word wait means, check this, to bind together, perhaps by twisting, to collect or gather together, what? But, but then get this, the word is used to signify a dependence on and ordering current activities around a future event. Okay, so it, it, it basically implies two things, a, a twisting together, a combining, a gathering of two things and combining those two things. And, and then the word is used to signify a dependence on and in ordering current activities around a future event. The word picture here is like a spider spinning a web. Like basically intertwining those threads together to create a web, but the web is not just for the sake of making a web. A web is designed to, to, to catch the food that will give the, it the nourishment that it needs. And so it takes the time to intertwine that web together, to stretch that web across these two places so that eventually they can have food that will be captured and caught in that web. Here's the other part of the word picture. If the spider doesn't create the web, it will never eat. Me, me and Ed were here in this office space, our executive pastor. We, we were here in this office space for a few hours on Wednesday, and we were working through some things here at church and planning ahead our preaching calendar. And, and, and there was a fly. I had these doors opened up because it was a beautiful day, and a fly came in, and it was one of those big flies. And, and so he's talking, and it keeps going zoom, zoom. But it was driving me crazy, so I grabbed, I actually grabbed my, my Converge prayer uh, journal that he put together and I'm, I'm chasing it down trying to get it and he didn't make the comment good to see glad to see you're using your prayer journal um, but but I was trying to get this fly and he was laughing at me because I'm like I'm swatting it like this and then and then I lose it in the you know in, in the, the light against the, the the walls and then there it is again and I'm swatting it and he's just cracking up and I never got the stupid thing I am a grown man trying to take out a fly. Do you, you think a spider on those little eight legs will ever be able to capture a, a flying insect, a moving insect, if it doesn't have the web? In order to find the nourishment that it needs, it has to take the time to spin the web. Why does Isaiah use this word to signify our responsibility in order to get what we need from God? It is an intertwining of our lives with his. And in intertwining our lives with his, we are making a future declaration about where our hope is. It is not in our present circumstances, but it is in what we know will come when we put our faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. See, a spider, it, gets, it doesn't have a choice but to give glory to God. 
And I love that about creation. I'm, I mean, I'm looking out this big window here and look at all the palm trees and the trees waving their branches and, and the wind. And, and that's just give them giving honor and glory to God. Every That fly, doing that fly thing it does, it's giving honor and glory to God, doing exactly what it was designed to do. And the fly or the spider is giving glory to God because it's doing what it knows how to do, this God-given instinct to build this spider this web so it can have what it needs to be sustained yet you and i we're the only piece in creation that gets to choose whether we put our confidence in the what in what god has established for us to have our sustenance and if we want to have the sustenance of our lives for our strength to be renewed for for our for our have the ability just to keep going the prophet Isaiah has said that you need to take your current circumstances and intertwine them with the promises of a faithful God waiting is not about just chilling it is going before the the throne of an almighty God and saying, here's what I have in my life. Oh, but I'm wrapping those things around what I know to be true about you. And in doing that, I am finding hope for my circumstances. If you wanted to do a word study, I'll just give you a place to start. These are, this is quoting David. This is just quoting David, though there were lots of other uses of the word weight that translates uh, to, to, in, to this, well, the use of the word weight. There are other uses of the word weight that actually would mean what we think, just to do nothing, to rest. But but call when call was used, it's used in lots of other places in the Bible. I found a few just quoting David. David's a hero of mine. And here's David, one who learn, is learning and is doing the work to know what it means to call vol, to wait to wrap his life around the things of God. In Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, Make me to know your ways. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I call of all. I wait all the day long. David is saying, you know better than me. Your ways are higher than mine. I need to trust you no matter what I'm going through. I am waiting for you. In the middle of this, I'm wrapping my life around yours, putting my present circumstances in the hope of a future event. Then I know you will take care of me. This is what David is doing in, in Psalm chapter uh, 25, same chapter, a few verses early, later, it says, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I call all for you. I like this verse. I just cherry-picked some passages from David's psalm in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That is a person that knows how to call of all their life, right? This is someone that knows whatever is coming against me. I know the one who is for me. And if my God is for me, who could possibly be against me? David knows this because he has wrapped and intertwined his life with the things of God. So whatever comes before him, David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So who in the world do I have to be afraid of? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Who can I possibly 
be afraid. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me, I will be confident. Verse 4 says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon his rock. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. This is that call vol for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Continue to call vol for the Lord. David says, I know I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your house every single day. May we struggle to get into God's house once a month. And David knows that I've got to put myself in front of the things of God. Because the more I anchor into who you are, the less concerned I am about the things that come in my life. I want to intertwine my life around you. Psalm 37, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Psalm 40, I, I called patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. David says, I've just been sitting here wrapping my life around yours, being patient, knowing that what I'm doing now is for something that is future. And so if you have a future promise for me, I can wait for you. And your timing is not my timing, though I wish it was. But I will wait for you patiently. And then you heard me and you inclined your ear to me. If you, O Lord, and this is Psalm 120, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could possibly stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So David says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. You see, David was just so good at this. David was able to take his present circumstances and not make them the final authority of his life. Let me, let me say that again. David was able to take his present circumstances and somehow not make them the final authority, the last word in his life. And that's what the word wait is all about. It's a present, current activity that is dependent upon a future event. God, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm trusting you. I'm wrapping my life around yours. I'm saturating myself in worship. I'm on my knees. I'm, I come to your house more regularly because I want to be where you are. I want the opportunity. I don't want to miss an opportunity to be with you, to be around people of you so that I can know these decisions I'm making are in an anchored hope of a future promise that I have that you will come through for me. I wait for the Lord. I boiled it down to a couple sentences to see if I can make sense of this. You know, I like alliteration. Waiting is the work that turns worry into worship. Koval type of waiting, this intertwining of sorts, this, this, this I'm doing, I'm making some decisions now that are contingent upon you being faithful, Jesus. And that work, waiting in that way, is the work that turns worry into worship. In essence, when I'm so stressed out, when, when, I, when I got deadlines in my life and I need to make some hard decisions and you know how that is, or you got relational issues or financial issues or employment issues, and it's like, it's, it's go time. Waiting, wrapping my life, going to God and saying, I trust you and I know that I don't have to be afraid. That is the work that turns my worry into an act of worship. The psalmist would say, it's the sacrifice of praise. 
It's not just the worship and the praise whenever everything is going well and we did get the promotion and the relationship is on cloud nine. It's it's whenever that in the midst of it all, we say, though my present circumstances are hard, calling my life is to say, I trust you and I give you a sacrifice of praise, which is to say, though I don't feel it, though I don't see it, though I don't even I don't even know what 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 to imagine you're going to do in the middle of it. I trust you and we turn our worry into worship when we learn how to wait. And then after that, worship is the response that reroutes our lives. See, for the first thing, worship happens on the inside. Now, it might overflow into lifted hands or bent knees. Or for me, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a lay prostrate on the floor kind of guy when I'm really praying. That, that sounded super spiritual. And not to say I'm super spiritual or that that's a posture that makes me any closer to God. It, I just threw up my mouth a little bit when I said that. But that is kind of one of my postures of prayer. So it might come out in a physical way, but but worship actually becomes like it changes our, our life as well. It, it might mean that though this is where you want to go at work, that God is calling you here. Though this makes more sense, God is saying, but I have this for you, though you don't want to give this up, though you would rather do this thing than be with God's people on Sunday, he might be calling you to say, yes, but worship, that we, after we learn how to, to wait and uh, the posture of our heart is worship, then we will find that that worship will ultimately reroute our lives sometimes. We, even Jesus knows this. John chapter 4 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. In addition to it being the the woman at the well passage, it's as a worship guy, I've been a worship guy since I was 16. And and John 4, 23 and 24 is a verse of scripture that says, the the time is coming and now is when the Father's looking for true worshipers. I always love that, true worshipers. And then the next verse says that he's looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth, it's such an important passage in the conversation of worship. And he's having that conversation with this woman at the well. And then this woman at the well, after this conversation is had, he she goes and back into her hometown. She tells her whole village the conversations that she just had with this man named Jesus. And the whole village comes and wants to hear the story of Jesus. But it all started with Jesus his, his journey being rerouted. John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't do the baptizing, the disciples did. So he left Judea. See that word so because of the, the Pharisees giving him these, these accusations. He said, I'm not going to mess with these Pharisees, so he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. And verse that was his decision. That was him not wanting to mess with the Pharisees, and he just wanted he didn't want the headache likely. But then verse four says he had he had he had to go through Samaria on his way. That is a profoundly interesting verse because who is possibly going to tell Jesus what he has to do? The one who could could call legions of heaven down at any point. Who is possibly going to tell Jesus what he has to do other than his father? Jesus made that incredibly clear in his ministry, his life ministry, that I come, Jesus would say, to do the will of the Father. That's the only reason I'm here. Jesus decided to go to Galilee, but he had to go 
through Samaria. This is important because ordinarily Jews would go the six-day journey around Samaria because they didn't want anything to do with what would be considered these half-breeds. They were only half-Jew and they didn't uphold the Jewish law and, and the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. But Jesus says, I'll take the three-day journey to Galilee because I have to go directly through Samaria. The only person that is possibly going to change Jesus's direction is God when he says, though this is what you were planning to do. This is likely what you've always done. I've got something new for you. And Jesus was willing to do the reroute of his life because he knew and he intertwined his will. I want to do your will. Here's my, not my will, but yours be done. And having intertwined his life, there are times that what you want to do, what you think you should do, gets derailed or rerouted because of what God wants you to do. But friends, if you've wrapped your life, you can even on the step into something that is unchartered and new and confusing, have hope because you put your hope in the future event that is God's faithfulness, not your present circumstances. And when Jesus did that, we learned something about Jesus. I wanted to read a little bit about how Jesus, when Jesus does this step into Samaria to, to be confronted with the Samaritan woman that would ultimately win an entire village for the sake of the gospel. In verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, listen to this, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. Tired from the long walk, Jesus sat wearily beside the well. I, when I got to this passage in my study, I began to pray for you and pray for those in our church, those that I'll, I'll see at church on Sunday as I'm sharing this message. And I began to pray because some of you are, are just exhausted and weary. And, and I realize that a faithful life doesn't prevent fatigue. Let me say it again for for maybe for this the person listening or watching right now that is trying to get it right. I just wanted to say to you that if you're exhausted and tired, even feeling weary, that a faithful life doesn't prevent fatigue. Because Jesus himself was exhausted. It says he was weary. John was careful to say that Jesus, weary from the journey, he sits down wearily. Just I can see shoulders slump, maybe like a... Well, why was Jesus weary? Well, he was weary because of unfair accusations. Just verse 1 of this passage of Scripture, it says that the, G, the Pharisees were upset because Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist. But John's careful to say it was Jesus wasn't even doing the baptism. But, but because of the unfair accusations, now there's unexpected destinations. He's like, I got to now pull the tent and go now to Galilee because Judea, the Pharisees are giving me a hard time and I just want to go do ministry. So he yanks up his tent. Unfair accusations lead to unexpected destinations and all throughout Jesus's ministry are all of these unreasonable expectations. I mean, the, the Jesus, Jesus got busted at one time because the Pharisees didn't wash their hands in the ceremonially correct way. 
Jesus, you can't heal on this day. You can't, you can't do this. You can't be in that house. Jesus, you can't say that thing. And Jesus, only wanting to do the will of his Father, wanting to please the heart of God, he finds himself in Samaria, a place he wouldn't have ordinarily been, but yet he wants to meet this lady in the middle of whatever she's going through. And even before he meets her, not... Not, not, he didn't get there to, to reach a city. He went there to be faithful to God and he finds himself. <sighs> if you're there and that's how you feel, I just, I, I didn't want to finish this series out without telling you that, that you, 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 you might, you might be a lot like Jesus. You might feel a lot like Jesus and, and a faithful life doesn't mean that you never get tired and beat up. It just means that even the tired and beat up parts are still being used as a, for this future reality of, of God's glory in your life. That God is going to get glory through you even though you're exhausted. You just got to try to not lose heart. Try to not lose hope in our weariness. In our weariness. Oh, that you and I could still learn to wait. Sit down weary and go, here I am. And I just want to continue to wrap my life around yours, but they that wait on the Lord, wrapping their lives, their current present circumstances around the promise, the hope that they have in God will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. This, this waiting or weaving is, is an exchange of sorts. It's an exchange. That trading of yokes. Here's 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 my life and and God, if you'll give me the parts of this that 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 I need to be concerned about. If you'll give me wisdom for the conversation itself that I need to have next Tuesday, but between now and next Tuesday, may I just not be just beat up with stress and anxiety. That's the 80% that I'm never intended to bear. And so if I can wrap my 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 confidence around this meeting in you, then I don't have to spend nine days being so stressed out. You can have those nine days of stress because I know that if I'm wrapped around you, whatever happens in that meeting, I can trust you with, with the end result. That's what happens when we wait, when we trade our burden. We do need, we, we will, you will have a burden to bear. And friend, that burden might be weary sometimes. Oh, but it's being used for the glory of God. Worship is the response that reroutes our lives. Philippians chapter 4 Six through nine says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Instead, reroute your life and be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real and honorable, and admirable, beautiful, and respectful, pure, and holy, merciful, and kind, and fasten your thoughts, ooh, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life, and then the God of peace will be with you in all things. This is the work 
of waiting? Are you, are, are you waiting on that answer? That, are you waiting on a call back from that interview? Are you waiting on the doctor's report? Are you waiting to see what that spouse is going to do? Are you waiting? Are you waiting? But this is how we wait. In the waiting, sharpening our understanding and our ability to trust a God that is a future hope that we have that, that, tr that trumps any present circumstances that we feel. This is the work of waiting. And when we do this, we can mount up on wings as eagles. We can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint, which is how we were always designed to live. Let's weave the web of trust and trust God with what he brings to our lives. Father, I pray for every person listening, watching, whatever situation they find themselves in, whatever they're going through, Spirit of God, I pray that you would just begin even now in this moment to bring a sense of confidence, maybe even eradicating some of the stress and anxiety in their life. Uh, Father, I pray that you would even now uh, teach them and show them how did this Philippians verse here in Philippians 4, like, how do we do this thing? How do we, how do we let go? How do we not be worried? And God, that, that, that discipline happens in the constant work of waiting. And David w was so good at this. I mean, he just over and over had to tell himself to get your eyes off your present circumstances. David said in one of those verses, yes, I've got enemies, but I'm not going to be afraid of them because if God is for me, who can be against me? He says, who am I going to fear? And may we have that hope. We have access to the same God of David. The same God of David is who is I'm praying to right now. And so, Father, I pray that you teach me how to have that confident hope. Who should I possibly fear? Because I'm wrapped up, wrapping my life around the person of God. And I can trust you. So teach us how to trust you. As, as the dad said before his boy was healed, I believe, but help my unbelief. Teach us and show us how to do these things, we pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for a great series, family. I don't know if you needed it, but I desperately needed it. So on to the next. We're starting a, ne a new series next weekend called Everyday Theology. It's the whole hope and heart of, of, of un making unseparate the work of sacred and secular. There's not sacred things in our life and secular things in our life. There's no such thing as secular music and sacred music or or sacred art and secular art. There's things that are good for us and things that are not good for us. But everything that is in our life, we can, be, we can use to turn glory to God. How do we take the normal everyday things of our life that we might say is secular, our work, our family, our play, and we can turn those into opportunities to see God in the midst of them. That's a new series, Everyday Theology. I'll see you next week.